We continue our study of Hebrews today as we see Jesus as the founder of our salvation. As Christ became human, experiencing suffering and tasted death, we no longer have to fear death and slavery to sin. Christ accomplished the mission of God through his suffering and humanity, and he remains supreme for our salvation. I invite you to read along in your own Bibles or follow along on the screens as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. For it was not angels that God subjected to the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject, subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now please join me in the response printed on the screens. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. Amen. That was a long one, but we got through it. Thank you, Laurel. So I'm just going to sit down and have Barbara Ann come back up because thank you, Barbara Ann, for that message. That was incredible. Not a dry eye in the place. Um, It just shows how incredibly painful our lives can be on this earth. And we're going to talk today a little bit about um, an opportunity to embrace a new way of living through Jesus Christ as a founder of our salvation. So for those who don't know me, my name is Becky Pritchard. I'm grateful to be here with you all today. This is exciting. This is fun. It's good to see so many of you back. I'm so glad um, that you guys have been here. The last couple of weeks since the beginning of the year, we've been talking about Hebrews. And we've been talking about Jesus's supremacy over prophets, over angels. Last week, we talked about holding fast to Jesus Christ, to the hope and assurance we have in Christ, anchoring ourselves so that we don't drift away, anchoring to the word of God 
in Jesus Christ. So today we pick up in verse five of chapter two. If you have your Bible with you, keep it open. Um, the scriptures are going to be on the screens. Um, feel free to open your phone if that's the best way for you to access the Bible. We just want it out. It is a long passage. We're going to work our way through it and really see what God is telling us today. So before we jump in, let us turn to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So let's begin by talking about what it means to be a founder, somebody who founds something. Drawing? Was that last week, Mitchell? No. Someone who, who, who initiates something, a pioneer. A founder is typically the first person to do something. A founder discovers or creates, initiates an institution or a movement, something that has never been done before. And then often they share what they've created or found with others. We have the founding fathers of the United States who put together the Constitution in, 19, in 1787, paving the way for the U.S. to become a great nation. We know of founders of companies and trends, Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. One you might know, not know as well is Florence Butt. She started a little grocery store in Kerrville in 1905 that has now become known as HEB. Yes. Um, they are the first. They're the cutting edge. They're the ones that find it. They're often given a lot of credit, and they often get a lot of money. Not always, but often. A pioneer is similar to a founder. A pioneer who's someone who, who goes before others, prepares the way, charts new territory, the first person to walk a path. When I was in fifth and sixth grade, my favorite computer game was, can anyone guess it? Oregon Trail. Thank you. I'm dating myself by saying that. 95 was about, I was 10 years old. Um, if you haven't played Oregon Trail, look it up. It's amazing. You had to be a pioneer. You were literally a wagon leader. You were on the screen and you had to like take all of your people from Missouri or something all the way to Oregon on the Oregon Trail, right? And you could die. You had to hunt for your own food. You had to ford the river. You had to make all these decisions on the computer. Anyone played that game? Yes, thank you. Okay, if you haven't, go online. But I'm going to show you a picture. They would show you these um, types of pictures that would say, like, <laughs> you remember it? It's coming back, yeah. Um, that, you know, Carol Ann has dysentery, and, but the weather is rainy, your health is good. And it was, like, terrifying when you saw health bad, food zero, <laughs> next landmark millions of miles, and you couldn't, and you're like, oh, we're going to die. And I don't think I ever made it to Oregon. Did anyone ever make it the whole way? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I have di I died every time, my whole team. You could sink in the river. It was horrible. Being a pioneer is a lot of pressure, right? To be the first one to do something, to have to make all these decisions, and literally you got to, like, shoot the, shoot the, um, uh, the rabbits and all that kind of stuff, and you'd get the pounds food. Anyway, you know what it's like to be a pioneer. Even if you haven't done it in real life, you can do it online. So go home. That's your homework. So Jesus was described in our text today as the founder of salvation. Other, uh, other uh, excuse me, other versions, thank you, uh, use pioneer, author, founder. There's no salvation before Jesus, and there is no salvation without Jesus. Jesus is the founder of salvation. So we're going to see in this passage of Hebrews that he really is the only one able to be the pioneer of salvation. How in his supremacy as God and in his humanity as man, 
that he suffered and died so that he would pave a way for us to have salvation. Nothing and no one else could do what Jesus did. So let's look at verse 5. In this verse, we see the author of Hebrews bringing angels back into the picture. If you remember a few weeks ago, the author of Hebrews spent 11 verses proving that Jesus was superior to angels. Really nailing it home, guys. Jesus is better than angels. So now in verse 5, he says, Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. The angels will not rule over the world to come. The world to come being the future when all things are subject under God's rule, when God's promises will be fulfilled, not the angels, but that someone greater will come. So if not the angels, then who? In verses six through eight, the author does what he loves to do, and he uses the Old Testament to illustrate his point. He pulls from Psalm 8. We read it in our call to worship today. These words are pulled from the Old Testament scriptures. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So the author spends 11 verses convincing us that Jesus is greater than angels. And now he's saying... He was lower than the angels for a little while? Why would he spend all that time illustrating Jesus' superiority only to turn around and say, well, he was lower than them for a little while? Had we not had the argument of Jesus' superiority over angels, not had the comparison of the two, we wouldn't know how dramatic this statement is. How dramatic it was for Jesus to lower himself before the angels, below the angels. To put human flesh on for a little while, not forever. Ultimately, he's superior to angels, but for a little while made lower so that he could live like us. Why did he have to do that? You see in verse 6, the mention of being mindful of man. This quote again directly from Psalm 8. God has a great love for humankind. So much that he created humans, Adam and Eve in the garden. We read in Genesis 1.28 about how he created humans to have dominion over the fish and the animals, over the earth. From the beginning of time, God loved humans out created them out of love for them, and it didn't take long for humans to mess it up. Messing up the relationship with God, the intention that he had, all of us have messed up, starting with Adam. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Whenever we mess up, we're in need of a mediator. Someone to make it right for us. Someone to stand in our place because we couldn't do it right. The good news is that God sent Jesus. God in his sovereignty had a plan that would redeem what went wrong here for Adam. What goes wrong with us. He needed somebody who would truly be obedient, who would rule over every living thing so that all could be subjected to him. So his plan was to have Jesus be the true representative of humanity. You may have heard Jesus referred to as the second Adam, literally the second man to come and do the work. 
that needed to be done. For a little while, Jesus needed to put on flesh and blood and move into the neighborhood. John 1, he dwelt among us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, living on this earth, feeling what we feel, tempted like we're tempted, experiencing pain and suffering like we have experienced, and even tasting death, which none of us in this room have yet done. But instead of messing it up, like we would have, like we do, he remained faithful and obedient to God the Father. Humans couldn't do it. We can't do it. Even angels cannot do it, as it says in verse 5. So God had a plan for Jesus to put on flesh and blood and move into the neighborhood. So let's take a moment and jump down to verse 9. In verse 9, the author repeats these words from Psalm 8, and he says, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, and then he name drops. He literally sort of like crescendos up to this, we see this, we see this, boom, namely Jesus. No confusion there. Who we're talking about, it is Jesus. Yes, it is. He's the guy made lower than the angels. This is the first time in the book of Hebrews that the author has used the word Jesus, the name Jesus. He's used the word Christ before, but up until now, this is the first time. He is wanting to be explicitly clear the role that Jesus has so that these Hebrew Christians do not think that the angels are higher than Jesus. He wants to make sure that Jesus is the one that we trust. Jesus was made lower than the angels, but he was crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering and death. It doesn't end there. There's a purpose in him being made lower, not just so that he would be crowned with glory, which is the goal, God's glory manifested, realized, explained, you know, totally in our faces. But the end of verse nine says that so that By the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Death is something that we fear. Death is something that we grieve. Death is something that shatters us on this earth. We just heard from Barbara Ann about several stories that were heartbreaking. We fear death. But we have somebody who here tasted death for everyone. This is a radical, radical plan that God would send his son to be made lower than angels, suffering so that all of that he could be crowned with glory for all of us. We were the wrong ones. We were the ones who messed it up. We deserve the suffering. We deserve the death. Not perfect Jesus. But remember, God is in control of all of this. None of this was a surprise to God. All of this was orchestrated by God from the beginning. If we jump back to verse 8, the author says he left nothing outside of his control. Nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. He's basically saying that right now, Hebrews can't see the whole plan. Remember, they're persecuted They're in pain. They need answers. They can't see the whole plan. They might be thinking, well, you don't have a plan, God. I've been waiting around for a clear understanding of how this is all going to work out, and it doesn't seem like it will. 
Chicken Little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. God couldn't possibly be in control. It's too hard. How many of us feel like that today? Literally, the sky is falling. It feels like everything's going wrong. It is just too hard. Even though we know who Christ is, even though we know what he did on the cross, even though we know the promises of the future, sometimes it's hard to see God's plan. It's hard to see that God is in control. We still haven't seen the whole plan in action. We're waiting for Christ's return. How could God be sovereign and in control in the midst of this mess? How could God be working when it seems like everything is falling apart? COVID, cancer, cruelty, crime, it all just seems like too much. Right now, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Yet is the key word here. Yet means that there will be a time that we will finally realize and fully see God in control of all things. When Christ returns, we will see that he is king over all powers and authorities of this world. Yet. Not yet. But what the Hebrew Christians see now is that bloodied servant, the one who died on the cross, the one who was made lower than the angels, the one who had flesh on just like them. How is God in control when Jesus is put to such a horrible death? Why would God do that to his only son? In verse 10, we see, once again, God is in control of everything, for whom and by whom all things exist. God makes the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Here's where we see that word, founder of their salvation. Out of God's sovereignty and love, he sent Jesus to live with us on this earth. And when he says here that Jesus is made perfect through suffering, he's not saying that Jesus wasn't perfect or that he messed up one time and so, oops, didn't get perfect, but then he suffered and he was. It meant that when Jesus' will was tested, when he was pushed, when he was suffering, when he was in pain, when he was hurting, he remained faithful and obedient. How many of us want to be in pain forever and remain faithful to God? We are in it for ourselves. We want what is easy and comfortable for us. And Jesus endured so much more than we could even possibly imagine. And yet he remained faithful and perfect for our salvation. Jesus is the only one who could do what he did. He is the only son of God. He did this for our salvation so that we no longer have to fear death. He founded our salvation and then he shared it with us. He paved the way. He walked before us. He did the thing that we deserve to do and now don't have to because of who Jesus is. Later on in Hebrews 12, we'll look at how Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Same language here, founder and perfecter who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The one who began and finished our salvation. He pioneered it. He wrote it. And he's the only one who could do that. Isn't it so nice when someone else goes first? 
you ever been scared to do something or the teacher looks in the class, well, who would like to give their presentation first and everyone's sitting on their hands looking around going, you go first, you go first. There's always that one person that's like, I want to get it over with, I'm going to go first. And it's so nice to sit there and watch that person go before you have to go to see what they did good, what they did bad, how you can be better than them, those kinds of things. <laughs> or maybe that's just me. But seriously, it's really nice. Especially when you're going to do something scary like a ropes course or something. It's like, go first. See how they do it. And if they miss the pamper pole ball, you know, bar, whew, I'm not the only one that'll miss it. We want someone to go first. We're scared to go first. Jesus went first. He went first so that we don't have to. He showed us the way to salvation. But he had to suffer. He had to taste death. Our salvation is dependent on Jesus becoming human, suffering and dying. And we have the privilege of being his brothers and sisters. Verse 11 says, we've come from the same source. We are children of God and considered brothers and sisters with Jesus. He is the son who inherits the kingdom and he shares it with us. We're adopted into the family and he's gracious in his sharing. He could have kept it all for himself. I did this for me to prove a point. But he graciously shares that with us out of God's plan and sovereignty. I think that as humans, a lot of times we feel the responsibility to be in charge of everything. I'm responsible for all the things that happen in my life, particularly when it comes to my kids. I am the only one who can pack the lunch, who can put them to bed, who can do anything right, right? <laughs> no, my husband does so much work. But there is this feeling of like, we are responsible. He's, he's here. He's great. He's wonderful. Um, he is. He really is. Um, but seriously, don't we feel like that control and the responsibility? I have to do it. I'm the one to do it. Whether it's at work, at home, on the road, whatever, you, wherever you find yourselves, I'm the one responsible. I have to make it. I have to do it. I have to do it right. And we think sometimes that we're convinced that we're in charge of our own salvation, that we can do it. We can earn it. We can get it. It's our job to become saved. I just need to read my Bible more. Just pray a little bit harder. Just be more open to God and listening to him. We've already had somebody who found it for us. He went first. He paved the way. And let's be honest, we know we couldn't because of our brokenness. So we have hope in the only one who could, and that's Jesus Christ. So let's stop trying. I'm talking to myself here. Let's stop trying to earn it, to do it, to be responsible for it, to push ourselves and trust in the one who's already done it. Let's rest and receive rather than create and strive, letting go and trusting the founder of our salvation. What joy we have in this truth. Can you even believe this? Can you believe that you aren't in charge? Like it sounds so good. That's what we want. But when we really get down to the brass tacks and we live our lives, that's not how we act. You can let go and trust God. Christ is the pioneer of salvation. Made human for a purpose, suffered for a purpose, and died for a purpose. He is the liberator. We are free in him. Verses 14 and 15 say, therefore, the, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, 
that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That we would be delivered not only from death, but from the fear of death. I'm a scared person. I live in fear a lot of time in my life, not just for physical things like spiders and heights and things like that, but I'm afraid people aren't going to like me. I'm afraid of failure. I am afraid of abandonment. I'm afraid of the list goes on and on and on. We are a fearful people. There's a whole industry right now about anti-anxiety, anti-fear, read this book, play with this popper, do whatever you need to do to calm your fears. There's only one thing that can truly save us from the fear of death, and that is Jesus Christ. In a minute, we're going to sing a song. We sing it a lot in here. It, it goes, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Let us let go and remember that he destroyed the one who has the power over death and that we no longer have to fear death. We must be reminded of this truth. We must come together every week. That's why we come here, not to check a box, but to be in community, to be reminded, oh, that's right, I lost track. I was standing on the sand instead of the rock. I forgot for a minute and we as a community are reminded together of this truth Do you want to be free from this fear? Do you want the chains to fall down? I do. And yet I cling to them. And I've got to let go. Jesus has already done the work for you. He didn't do it for angels. He did it for you and for me, for us. He talks about in verse 17 and 18 about being the propitiation for the sins of the people, a big word that we use in church that means giving a gift literally to appease a relationship, atoning sacrifice for our sins that satisfies God's wrath so that he can be a high priest. And in order to be a high priest, you got to be human. So Jesus had to be human so he could make propitiation for the sins of the people. And then he finishes in verse 18 by saying that because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He knows how you feel. He has been tempted like you are tempted. He has felt it in his gut. And he stayed faithful to Jesus. He knows what we're living in. Getting what we deserved, he took that on so that we might be free. Do you believe this good news? Do you believe the significance of this sacrifice? Do you see that Jesus literally sent his son to die for you? That God's sovereignty from the beginning, there was a plan in place that God knew all about our mess ups and our failures and that we were going to need a perfect human that we were going to need someone that could do the work that we couldn't do. And so he sent his son. Friends, what is shackling you right now? What's holding you captive? What is the fear that you are clinging to and want to let go of? Is it the fear of death? As Mitchell mentioned in his prayer, we've had a death in our community recently, and it stirs up all those emotions of grief and wondering and why and how and what. And we get scared Is it the fear of loss of control? Is it the fear of sickness? 
or the loss of money or status or pride or just trying? Are you, are you afraid of having to do it yourself? We are all held captive by sin. But Jesus went first so that we might be free. He is the founder of our salvation. We don't have to find it ourselves. No longer trapped. And friends, this is a process. Today you might feel like, yes, I do not fear. I'm on the rock. I feel good. And tomorrow you might wake up weak and angry and frustrated and scared. And then the next day you might feel great. That is because we are fickle people. But you know what's not fickle? Jesus Christ. You know who doesn't change? God, our Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Today, we have an opportunity to be together in worship, encouraging each other, reminding each other of these truths so we can live in this freedom. So as the band comes forward, they're going to sing a couple of songs, and as you reflect on this Word of God, remembering who Jesus is, that He's the founder of salvation, that He pioneered the way. You don't have to be on that Oregon Trail losing people to dysentery. You can be trusting that God is on the throne, trusting that He is holding you and walking with you, and we don't have to walk it alone. Look around this room. Look at who God has brought here to share in life and faith together. Jesus has destroyed the one who has the power over death. He has delivered us from the fear of death and slavery. Let us live together as free people. Let us pray. Holy God, we praise your name. We are so thankful that you sent your son as a human, flesh and blood, feeling the feelings that we feel, feeling the pain and suffering far beyond the pain and suffering we felt in this life, tasting death so that we don't have to live with the fear of death, bound to our sins, but free in you. Remind us that we're not alone. We're in this together and that we can be reminded of these truths when we feel shaky, when we feel scared. Lord, I am scared but we are going to sing in a second about we're not slaves to fear. So whatever people in this room are holding, Lord, we pray that they are able to let go, reminded of your grace and your peace and your love, your great love for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.